And the Oscar goes and to... And the Oscar goes and the Oscar to... Goes to. My only object in being here is to try and get at the truth. What shall I go? What shall I do? He's looking at you, kid. Frankly, my dear, I don't give a damn. I could have been a contender. Fasten your seat. I could have been somebody. They can only kill me with a golden bullet. What have I done? Call me Mr. Tibbs. I'm gonna make him an offer. Yeah. All real man. Love is, is love. too weak a word. Stay back. I love you. I love you. I love you. I did as you Don't laugh! If there's something wrong, it's wrong with the instructions. This ain't reality TV! Respect it and validate it. Remember that you told me? It's time, Robbie! Welcome to the next Best Picture Podcast. And the Oscar goes to Green Book. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 150 of the Next Best Picture Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Neglia. Time of recording, 11.08 a.m. on July 7th, 2019. Here to join me today for this podcast recording i have michael schwartz hello everyone josh parm hello hello and tom o'brien coming to you in between earthquakes yeah seriously for everyone out there in california right now i hope everyone's okay i'm sure that must have been a very very scary experience over there um over here on the east coast we're getting just rain but you guys it must feel like the apocalypse over there i I, like i genuinely hope everyone is all right i'm sure it gave you all quite a scare very, very much. Even even people who've lived here for a while, and I've lived through some major ones here. These the these last three days have been crazy, and uh, people are scared. Yeah, yeah, definitely not a good feeling. Let's hope that today we can uh, brighten their spirits up a little bit with our show. Uh, we are going to be going over our most anticipated films of 2019 for the second half of the year. Obviously, that coincides with award season, so we'll be talking a little bit about the films that we are, you know, looking forward to, both from an entertainment standpoint, how it will factor into the uh, Oscar race, and then we're also going to announce the 2015 NBP Film Community Award nominations alongside our own staff voted upon nominations. Uh, voting for that will then commence as of tomorrow. Uh, we've been doing a 2015 retrospective during the off season ever since the Oscars uh, ended. And it's been honestly like it's been better than I expected. It has been so much fun going back and looking at a film year doing these podcast reviews for our listeners and now we get a chance to open it up for everyone to vote and course correct maybe in certain cases you know (laughs) george miller get him that oscar (laughs) (laughs) uh this is something that we will continue to do so once the summer is over and we head into the uh, award season we'll still be doing throwback podcast reviews they will not be uh year centric focused they will be more so tied to the award season films that are coming out. We'll try to find um, similar themes, or maybe it's like the same director, similar star, things along those lines. Uh, but then when the Oscar season ends again this year, we will come back for a 2014 retrospective, and we'll keep this pattern up for as long as you guys are enjoying it. I mean, like I said, we've enjoyed it so far, and it seems like the fans have also had a great time with it. The feedback has been tremendous, and we thank you, thank you, thank you so much for that. Uh, We're also going to go over the polls. We're going to discuss the trailer for Ryan Johnson's Knives Out, and we'll answer some questions here as well. Let's start off first and foremost. Michael, pass it off to you. What did you catch up on this week? I caught up with two movies this past week. The first was uh, Spider-Man Far From Home, Mm -hmm. which, you know, I'm not really into the MCU, but I do like Spider-Man as a character, so I'll go see whenever he's around with one of his own solo movies. 
I thought the comedy and the high school coming of age stuff was terrific. It reminded me of like a John Hughes movie, just a really good comedy on its own. And it was great to see these kids. Tom Holland and Zendaya are excellent. I love the addition of J.B. Smoove from Curb Your Enthusiasm as one of the teachers. He and Martin Starr, I thought, were really funny. I think all that fired on all cylinders in terms of it being a comedy. Where it was lacking for me was the action. I did not think Jake Gyllenhaal was a very good villain. I was really impressed by Mysterio. And the action sequences themselves just, you know, I, I felt like they were sort of dull. So to me, it was an A-minus comedy, a C-plus action movie resulting in what we would say at MVP is seven all around. So definitely worth checking out, but it wasn't perfect in my eyes. Yeah, you know, what's funny, Michael, is that I, I actually like the action and I like Mysterio. And it's the comedy for me that actually I had some reservations on. And I was kind of similar to you in the sense that I, too, was at like a seven out of ten, initially speaking. And then that post credit sequence came and I was like, well, that's an eight out of ten movie the now. The post <laughs> sequence is pretty good. I won't give anything away because it's definitely worth sticking around for. But uh, what they do is very clever. And I'll, of course, I'll see the new Spider-Man movie because I like seeing these actors and the comedic timing so much. So it's worth checking out, even if it didn't fire in all cylinders across the board. And uh, I don't mean to skip ahead to myself necessarily, but I do want to just point out, since we're on the topic of Zendaya right now, I have been watching her show Euphoria on HBO, and she is quite incredible on this show <laughs> so if you like what you're seeing from her and far from home and you are uh of age let's say because it's definitely a mature show uh check out euphoria on hbo if you want to see more of her work it's pretty stellar stuff so i've heard very good things about that and actually come to think that spider-man was the only movie i saw this week i was thinking of a toy story but we talked about that last week so yeah, it was just spider-man i guess okay josh parm uh, well, I caught up with three movies this week. Uh, the first one I saw was Midsummer, And I actually saw this movie twice. <laughs> um, wow, something I could not do, but I really so desperately wanted to do. Yeah, and the fact that I saw this movie twice probably lets you know that I did like it a good deal. It's not perfect, and there are things about it in the storytelling that I wish were a little bit stronger, but... I mean, the performances and the filmmaking behind it are just so incredible. And there is stuff in this movie that's going to stick with me for a very long time. And it is definitely one of the most memorable movies of the year that I've seen so far. So I very much recommend it, even though it is very messed up and I'm still kind of processing it even after seeing it twice. Yeah, yeah. I was curious to know... Um... If on a second viewing, did it get better for you? Did it remain the same? Do you have like more reservations? It kind of, it, it did get a little bit better. Um, there were some things that I sort of noticed that did make the story a little bit stronger. I still think some of my issues are still there, but I find that I walked out the movie still thinking about it though. And it's a very rare thing for this year in particular, for me to really be that engaged with a movie after I've seen it. So it's still very worthy, I think, to check out a second time. Okay, cool. Yeah. What else? Uh, well, after that, I did end up seeing Spider-Man Far From Home. And unfortunately, I am with the minority critical opinion of this film. I really didn't like it all that much, to be honest with you. Uh I, I thought the screenplay was actually really bad, to be honest with you. I did not really find these 
characters to be developed in an authentic way. And the action also, to me, was a little bit too much. I think it got too heavy into like the really big CG spectacle. And I know that a lot of people enjoy it. But to be honest, even as somebody who isn't that big into MCU to begin with, this actually was one of my least favorite entries. So I unfortunately didn't have too great of a time with that movie. Bummer. Yeah. Well, what you going to do? Uh, but then after that, I saw Wild Rose, finally. And it was good. It, the movie itself is only okay, but that performance from Jesse Buckley is all the reason you need to check it out. She's so talented, and I love seeing her in anything. So it's an, it's an okay movie. It kind of does things that you've seen before in terms of like struggling musician stories, but Jesse Buckley is aces in it. And it's got Jessica Walters, too. So see you for them. Yeah, she's definitely a star on the rise and someone that we all need to keep our eyes on. Pretty soon, she's going to get a role that is just going to catapult her right into the awards conversation. And if you haven't seen any of her work so far in either Beast, Chernobyl, or this, uh, she'll definitely be a new discovery for you. But those of us that have seen her work are... (laughs) We know she's the real deal. (laughs) Oh, yeah. She's quickly becoming one of my favorite uh, working actors. And really, to anybody, if you have not seen Beast, Please go see it. It's so, so good. Absolutely. All right. Tom? Well, I join you in uh, seeing Spider-Man. I, I'm totally in Michael's camp, though. I think I think it works great as a, a teen comedy. Uh, I particularly like Zendaya in it. She just has something. There's something about her that your eyes just keep going right to her, and you pay attention when she's uh, on camera. And that I'd love to see a sitcom someday of Martin Starr and J.B. Smoove's as those two teachers. Yeah. <laughs> it's terrific. Didn't really buy uh, Jake Gyllenhaal as, as a villain uh, or the antagonist or whatever you want to call Mysterioso. Uh, but the I, I, I have, I'm on and off the Marvel train. I'm kind of off on this one. Uh, the third act, the usual third act CGI battle crap was still there and it's like what can you do about it that's the nature of these films but there was enough uh, good things in the first part that i uh, i would probably give it around a seven as well uh but i did i did use the rest of the week to try and catch up on some things that most of most of which have at least been mentioned on the podcast but i wanted just to offer a few takes i saw two music films i saw the ron howard Pavarotti documentary oh how is that um well, it's not an opera-heavy uh, look at Pavarotti. It's more about Pavarotti the entertainer, which is kind of along the lines of what I might expect from a Ron Howard look at him, you know, how he became a celebrity and, you know, his appearances on The Tonight Show and that kind of stuff. Uh, opera people I've uh, know that they... They have they have reservations about it because they're much more interested in why did Pavarotti misuse his voice, in their opinion, in the last parts of his career so that uh, before he died, he really couldn't sing at all. He didn't preserve it the way, let's say, uh, Placido Domingo does, who appears in this film. Uh, it's OK. I think it's really kind of surface. But uh, I would I was not exactly what I was expecting. So you can. Take that for what it's worth. If you're a fan of Pavarotti, go. If you're a serious person about opera, be warned. Uh, the other music documentary, I find a music film I saw was uh, finally caught up with yesterday. I'm of I'm of the camp that it 
it's not great Danny Boyle, but at least he was there to rein in some of the excesses of the uh, Richard Curtis script. I, I went in really skeptical of the premise uh, and I bought it. It's a, okay, Richard Curtis, I buy your loony present a premise. So uh, make me want to love this film. And he didn't. Uh, I think it, it, it didn't really get to the root of why this music has lasted for so long. I thought the cast was charming. Um, and I don't know what the hell Ed Sheeran was doing in it, but you know, that was okay. <laughs> it was that celebrity interpretation, that, or impersonation at the, um, in the third act that really bothered me. And I just wish it wasn't there. It just, it left such a bad taste in my mouth. I'm on, on the fence, whether I liked it or not, I think I'm tipping towards no, but there's a lot of good things in it, particularly the cast. And then I saw Joanna Hogg's The Souvenir, which I find pretty insufferable. Uh, it's gotten great reviews, and I and I read about people who really love it. I feel so validated right now. I'm just throwing that out. <laughs> <laughs> I saw this at Sundance, and I was like falling asleep in my chair, like dozing off, and I just did not understand what everybody found so great about this movie. Uh, well, I, actually, let me rephrase that. I do understand what everyone found so great about this movie, but it's just, I guess it's just not my kind of movie. Well, it is kind of my kind of movie, but I'd like good versions of this kind of movie. Uh, I, the part of my problem was the the characters in it. I, I uh, Clearly, Joanna Hogg uh, identifies with the character of Julie. It mirrors very much her experience. And uh, that part of it, when you watch Julie directing movies was solid to me. Uh, but then you've got this insufferable boyfriend, Anthony, who was smug and self-righteous and uh, he's pinstripe suited bow tie. It reminded me of a very English version of Tucker Carlson. And yeah. the, and the, I'm just, you just, I'm just baffled why the two of them are together. And it made me lose sympathy for her. It's like, we'll dump this guy's ass, will you? And she doesn't, and he's a user in more ways than one. And uh, I, I finally I said, oh, I'll just wash my hands of both of you. Goodbye. And uh, pretty much turned off the film. I'm baffled. Um, if you're interested in this, you know, the, the, this kind of film, go. But I wouldn't recommend it, and you'll thank me later. <laughs> the only... One thing I did like, though, that I caught up on that, uh, that's been out for a few weeks is The Biggest Little Farm. This mm. is a very fresh documentary. I've never seen anything quite like it. It uh, did not roll out the way I expected, which gives me some nice surprises. There are no villains in it. You really want to root for this couple who finally get the chance to go from the big city to realize their dream of a diverse farm as opposed to doing a farm that just uh, uh, focuses on one crop but the farm they bought has you know the soil had no nutrients and you just want really want to you take it step by step and you want to you see them building 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 and worrying and that, that it's not going to work out uh, i think it's it's an early release for uh, best documentary consideration for the Oscars, but I think this is going to be in the mix because there's nothing like it out there. And I really hope that audiences continue uh, to go to see it because it's doing very well at the box office. Biggest little farm. Give it a shot. Tom, didn't you also see a Palm Door winner this week? 
I did. I don't know how much I can talk about it. Oh, okay. Sorry about that. That's all right. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, I mean, there's no review embargo on it. No, that's true. I I did see Parasite, um, and I I think it's best to go in to see it without any expectations. Ooh. But it's not a, a it's not a science fiction film or a creepy thing that uh, the title might suggest. As I'll leave it at this, as I said to Matt, it's everything I hoped it would be and nothing like what I expected. That's sounds like good news to me. Okay, then. (laughs) (laughs) One of my most anticipated of 2019 for the rest of the year. (laughs) Yeah, that is one of those movies that I've actually been trying to avoid any trailers or more discussion about. I really want to try to walk into that movie knowing as little as possible because I just am sold on the idea of that film, and that's all I need. Uh, so those that have been following uh, my life lately know that I got a new job uh, recently, uh, which I just started. And as a result, I have not been able to uh, go to the movie theater to see anything. <laughs> I was not able to go see Midsummer. <laughs> Who do you think you are, Michael Schwartz? <laughs> I, I know, seriously. I missed uh, a screening for The Farewell again. Uh, literally the second time I missed a screening for The Farewell, actually. Um, I missed uh, Brittany Runs a Marathon. <laughs> Uh, man, uh, I also missed out on Stuber uh, as well, which we will have a review for this week. It will be written by uh, Katie. Uh, so, yeah, no, nah, I uh, I had a rough week <laughs> of movie watching. However, I did watch all of Stranger Things uh, season three on Netflix, and we will have a uh, podcast discussion about that season uh, for our Patreon listeners coming up. So to sum it all up, though, I think it's maybe my least favorite season of the show. Uh, but it's still good. Still good. Just, I don't know, something about it for me. I think it's because these kids are no longer kids anymore. They're teenagers and something about their acting style and just the situations they were put into. Um, it something just didn't click for me the same way the charm of the first two seasons did while they were still young. You know what I mean? I have not seen yeah. a second of Stranger Things any season. I just haven't been interested in watching. But what I've noticed around this season that just dropped is the same enthusiasm that was there from seasons one and two seems to be a bit more muted this time around. Almost like what happened with Orange is the New Black. Well, what's happening is they're kind of repeating a, a very similar formula. It, it, it's like, did you ever watch 24 when it was on oh, with yeah. uh, Kiefer Sutherland? Yeah. Yeah. It was like, how many bad days can this guy have in his life? And after a couple of seasons, I think it just became not comical, but just the show became just repetitive in that way. It didn't seem to evolve and change. It was just this this formula that they had that they were sticking to every single season of 24 hours, this guy's life, he has a problem, and everything just keeps on, you know, stacking up and so on and so forth. With Stranger Things, it's like it's like the same thing. Life is peaceful. Everything is good. Oh, here come the aliens again. Oh, we need to protect ourselves again. And it keeps happening to the same characters. Rinse, repeat, so on and so forth. I'm kind of ready for there to be just a fresh, like, take and formula on these uh, characters, uh, this world. And, like, I, I just, I'm, I'm getting tired of the formula, I guess you could say, after three seasons of what is literally, for me, like, been the same thing essentially yeah so i bet i get it that's the show you know yeah like my favorite kind of television is the one where each season is not a formula that keeps being repeated it's like one continuous story with a beginning middle and end being told over however x many amount of seasons you know what i mean yeah 
something that keeps you keeps you guessing as to what an episode is going to be like. Exactly. Exactly. Like Breaking Bad did that or The Leftovers uh, did that for me in many ways. Uh, shows that didn't do that were things like Sons of Anarchy. It's just like the same stuff over and over and over again all the time. Uh, anyway, enough about television. Although, actually, you know what? We did get a question this week about television, and I figured, why not? Let's just answer it on the show here. Uh, so we got a question from Richard Houlihan, and he's asking, um, are you all still convinced that Game of Thrones is winning best drama series at the Emmys, or have you seen anything since the finale that might threaten its chances? Oh, it has it in the bag. Yeah. I, I, I can't think of anything else that can uh, come close to it. Mm. I mean, I am not an expert on television at all. So from my very limited perspective, it does sort of seem like all the other networks kind of got out of the way of Game of Thrones. So they kind of eliminated their own competition. And I certainly don't know what's there to possibly be a threat to take it away but again i am not an expert on the emmy race let's put it this way if it does lose it'll be one of those things where i will be shocked but i also won't be shocked because the backlash is there there's backlash in the online community and it's not with the voters at large well we don't know that necessarily i mean well i guess we'll learn more when the nominations come out and we'll be able to tell from that maybe so we'll see we'll see hi everyone this is tim costa i'm hermano da silva And this is Walter Vinci. And together we are the First Time Watchers Podcast. Each week we choose a movie to review that none of us has seen. Watch it together. And then discuss. These movies could be new. Or old. Or on our list of shame. You can find us on iTunes by searching for the First Time Watchers Podcast. As well as on Stitcher. And we love interacting with our listeners. So if you have any suggestions, send us a tweet. An email. Or post to our Facebook page. We'd love to hear from you. That's right. I mean, it's all about interaction. And talk about what we love, movies. And you don't have to worry about us going on and on about this and that and the other. And oh, no, look, no, no, let's no. talk stop, about stop, this. Stop, stop, shut up, shut here. up, shut up, shut and up. And I wonder shut who up. the guy that can God damn it, shut up. I think that's enough, Walter. Uh, moving away from television, let's talk about film. Let's talk about 2019. Let's talk about what the rest of the year, the next six months. All the great stuff that is coming out this year. Uh, freeform discussion. No real format here, just spitballing it. What is everyone looking forward to? Um, I'll start us off. Obviously, number one, we're getting a new Martin Scorsese film this year. It's called The Irishman. Come on. (laughs) Come on. How can you you not be excited for a new Scorsese? It's like new Spielberg or new Paul Thomas Anderson. Uh, You know, when a new one gets announced, you just like, you can't help it. You can't help but get excited. Totally. Scorsese's last narrative... Uh, released Silence back in 2016 was obviously a very, very well-crafted film. Matt, I think it was your favorite film of 2016, right? It was, yeah. Yeah, so Silence, incredibly well-crafted, but at the same time, it's also going to alienate a lot of people. You know, you have to really be in the bag for what that movie is offering you, and it's a very personal film for Martin Scorsese. Understandable, he waited his whole life to make it, and it turned out pretty well. With The Irishman, though, it seems like it's going back in the Scorsese that everybody loves mode. Scorsese of Goodfellas and Mean Streets and, you know, vintage Scorsese. Departed. Oh, yeah, of course, Departed. So if Silence was his quote-unquote art film that was only for a handful of audiences, this is the one that everyone's going to go flocking to, it seems like. Agreed. And they're going to have to flock to it because it cost almost, what, $200 million, maybe even more than that. Well, it's Netflix, you got to remember. I mean, right. 
they're not going to have to necessarily go to a theater to watch it. They're just going to have right, to stream have it. To commit the two and a half, however many hours that it is to watch this movie, which I'm sure oh, yeah. they will. That's another thing, too. I can't imagine this movie being a two hour film. It's got to be like two and a half hours or something like that. At least that's just how Marty operates. Yeah. yeah. I'm more curious about that film than anything else. I would say I am definitely looking forward to it, but I just want to see like how this gets pulled off. I think I'm just more interested in seeing if it can actually work. I'm I'm interested in seeing the performances from a cast that, you know, it's not like they are bad now necessarily. You know, I would never stand here and say that Robert De Niro, Al Pacino are bad actors today. They're still good actors. Obviously, I think their best years are behind them. Obviously, when they were in their prime. However, with you know, working with a director like Martin Scorsese and with the de-aging technology in place, I do wonder if we're going to get something that is going to tap into that nostalgia of how incredibly talented these guys used to be. Yeah, because some of some of De Niro's best performances have been with Scorsese and uh, very many of the performances that we love. And I'm curious to find out whether they have the same magic together. I suspect they do, but that will be one of those questions that uh, I can't wait to find out the answer. Oh my God, I'm looking through the Wikipedia page here of the cast right now. And, you know, of course you have Pacino, De Niro, Pesci, Cannavale, all those people. But when you really go deeper into it, you see there's a comedian named Jim Norton in the movie oh. playing Don Rickles, who of course was in Casino. Huh. And if you know Jim Norton's work, that's perfect casting. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, obviously, we have the Palm Door winner, Parasite. Tom, you have a uh, head start on that uh, against the rest of us. We're all very much looking forward to seeing that one, though. I'm like hoping to catch that at NYFF or somewhere. We'll see what happens with that. Um, sticking maybe like with some blockbusters for a minute here. Uh, I'm curious. I can't say I'm excited, but I'm curious about Frozen 2 and seeing if cuz honestly like frozen for me is a movie that i don't think is like that great um but i understand it captured the hearts of everyone the year that it came out with its music and i'm curious to know if this will have a stronger narrative behind it rather than resting on the laurels of the music and so i have i have a curious uh, factor there you know they're playing their cards very close to the chest there because the mm-hmm. first two trailers that we've seen make it look very emotionally wrought and drama heavy they haven't really said that there are songs written by uh the lopez's in this but of course it's frozen and the reason frozen was his big success was because of the music yeah so i think yeah. they're advertising it as one thing but once we see the movie it's going to be you know more of those wonderful songs that people love uh star wars the rise of skywalker eh. yeah <laughs> i mean, I know they heresy but eh. To be honest, is it just because we're all kind of anticipating this to be more of a safe Star Wars movie, catering to what the fans want, and as a result, it might be predictable and boring? Well, the thing is, as someone who really liked, I really enjoyed The Force Awakens, not so much The Last Jedi. It's almost a relief to see J.J. coming back, because he's giving you what you know you're going to get. And some people love that, some people hate that, but at least you know what it is going into it. Yeah. Yeah, whereas my perspective is that I don't like that J.J. is coming back. I think that he is somebody who 
does play things very safe and it does feel like a reaction to the discussion around the last jedi which to me for better or worse was actually making star wars kind of interesting which personally for me is something that i've struggled with with even the best of those movies so to see them kind of fall back to what i can only assume is going to be maybe more safe territory we haven't seen the movie yet but it's not an encouraging sign for me to have jj abrams come back and i think that combined with me not really being totally in the tank for star wars to begin with kind of makes me feel like a little bit more apathetic about this movie yeah, it is interesting that uh, given the the rap against The Last Jedi and the flop of Solo, um, that there's kind of like, a, it's a, right now Star Wars for me is kind of off its pedestal. Yeah, I, I know a lot of people that feel that way right now. Um, let's, take, let's, let's stay in space for a minute here. Uh, what do we think of Ad Astra, Lucy in the Sky? Ad Astra is going to do probably fairly well with critics. It's going to tank in the box office, probably get a C cinema score and be gone in two weeks. I sadly agree. I really don't think this movie is going to do very well financially. That doesn't mean we're not excited to see it, though. Oh, no, I am definitely interested in checking it out. It looks like a really interesting movie, but science fiction in that capacity that is a little bit more on the intellectual, philosophical side always tends to struggle with general audiences and... The fact that this movie has had such a troubled production and they could never figure out a release date for it, that to me just seems like they are just trying to dump this movie and get it off the books as quickly as possible. You know, it's a movie that the more I think about it, the more I just like I'm like surprised. I'm very genuinely surprised that even I'm like, yeah, wow, I really want to see this. The Joker film by Todd Phillips. Yeah. Yes. I'm very eager to see what he's doing there. Executive produced by Bradley Cooper and Martin Scorsese. It's a superb trailer. Yeah. Every time I see it play, I'm just like, I I really, really want to see this. And I I like, I tell you, normally I don't say that with DC films. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's not your typical DC film. It's going to be something different where you have Robert De Niro. looks like he's doing a version of... uh, uh, the, the Jerry Lewis character from the King of Comedy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know, yeah. I know what you're saying. Yeah, it looks like he's playing very much in that mold. Uh, Mark Maron has a supporting role in it, and this is the same Mark Maron who went on a long rant against superhero and comic book movies about a year ago. Yeah. So the fact that he found something interesting in this one, you know, really gives you hope for you know it being different than all the other average DC movies. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I am. And of course, there's this guy Joaquin Phoenix too doing some thing which is always worth checking out yeah i am warming up to this movie i really wasn't into the trailer when i first saw it for some reason but i don't know maybe just because i've been seeing it more ahead of movies i have been getting more into the idea of watching this film todd haynes directing is still kind of a roadblock for me but i also really do think that joaquin phoenix is somebody that is very particular in the movies that he takes nowadays and i want to have faith in him as an actor that he would not throw himself into this role if he didn't think that there was some interesting take on it. So I am a little skeptical, but I am trying to be a little bit more optimistic about the movie too. Josh, did you say Todd Haynes? Did I say Todd Haynes? What I, what, I meant Todd, what is his name? Uh, Todd, I, Todd Phillips. Phillips. <laughs> I would like totally three, see the Todd Haynes. I, uh, yo, a Todd Haynes Joker film. <laughs> 
was like <laughs> three fantastic. Todd directors that were swimming around in my mind. I apologize. <laughs> no, no, no. That was that was beautiful. Was also first though. That was fantastic. I probably did. My mistake. <laughs> so I think you both did. It was, but hey, let's get that movie off the ground. Like if you can now do that, it in the same, I would definitely hundred percent the same version. Like you did safe. <laughs> Sticking with the um, theme here of stuff that just like is tickling my curiosity. Uh, it's not something that I can quite peg down exactly because there are just so many uh, factors that work into it. Uncut gems oh, from yeah. the uh, yes. yeah. That is going to be something because I heard or I learned this week that Scott Rudin is producing that for Netflix. So that is something that I think they're going to try to push for Oscar consideration. Yeah. And then you have the factor of uh, Adam Sandler, who I think is very much due for some critical uh, approval. And and I I, think still you think he's still due. No, no, I mean, like, in the sense, like, we're due for a good performance from him. And you know how it's like how Nicolas Cage does, like, one great performance once every 10 years sort of thing? Yep. Okay. I mean, I can imagine him being due for critical praise. I don't think, like, anything for Oscars. I kind of feel like that has sailed already. Uh, mm-hmm. I think he just put in the best performance of his career not even two years ago with the Meyerowitz stories. Yeah, that was one of his highlights. I agree with that. And look, even when he's doing uh, Happy Madison comedies, a lot of them have not been very good lately, granted. But if you go back to the 90s and SNL when he was at his prime, you know, he was one of the great comedic actors. And even seeing him just a couple weeks ago on SNL, the guy still got it when he's given good material. Speaking of Meyerwood stories, uh, we have uh, the untitled Noah Baumbach film starring Adam Driver, Scarlett Johansson, Laura Dern, said to be Netflix's uh, number one pony this year, even above The Irishman. I think that's my number one anticipated for the rest of the year. Noah Bumbach has just been on such a rise lately from Francis Ha, Mistress America, While We're Young. Uh, he's just really, really terrific. And I think this is going to be the one that breaks through for him. That's what that's what I'm thinking, too, there. In terms of you know, I like the trajectory of somebody's filmography culminating in like a coronation almost of awards praise, I feel like he is somebody that is like he's getting there. And this, this could, could be, be it. like his Grand Budapest Hotel, if that makes sense. Yes. No, mm-hmm. I, I totally get that. I mean, he, he he's he's ready. He's really on the cusp of major recognition to become a household name. And I'm hopeful that this one is it. And so interesting this year is that he and his partner, Greta Gerwig, both have films in consideration and could both find themselves in the Oscar conversation. I'm trying to keep my expectations in check with Little Women. Like, I'm trying. Because uh, I don't want to go in with such high expectations that it's going to gr- be great because then I'm worried that it's going to let me down. So I'm, I'm, I'm trying to keep those very tempered. Uh, the cast, though, gets me very, very excited, of, of course, naturally. In the, the same way you would the Irishman. Well, uh, well the Irishman, uh, admittedly speaking, um, here's the thing. Martin Scorsese has a track record. Greta Gerwig has one movie. And so that's why uh, I'm, a li- I'm trying not to... I do admit that the the margin for error with the Irishman is pretty big. Uh, yeah. There is a huge, huge chance that that movie will be pretty terrible, maybe due to the visual effects, maybe due to an overstuffed narrative. Uh, there is a lot that could potentially go wrong with that. However, even Scorsese has shown before, even with stuff like Gangs of New York, um, even though it's sloppy and not perfect, it's still more interesting than half the shit that comes out in a given film year, at least. Very so... True. 
regarding Little Women, though, I mean, it's still Little Women. You know, I, I, that's why I'm. That's why it's keeping my my hopes done. And I I love the '94 version of it, but it's not a movie that cries out for a, a lot of different interpretations. That that story. Well, we kind of heard that last year with A Star Is Born, and that worked out pretty okay, all things and considered. So that's a very good point. Okay. Point made. <laughs> Apparently, she's doing this one where she's telling it in a non-linear format. That's the rumor I've heard. So we'll see if that stays up until the release this Christmas. But I think she's just such a sharp writer and had such a keen eye for direction, as we saw with Lady Bird. If she could use that skill and get something out of these performers, something new that we haven't seen before, that could be really unique. Keep your ears to the ground, too. The film is supposedly finished and it is screening. Uh, there might be some tweaks that go into it here and there, but I've been hearing that it is test screening right now. So if you hear anything about it, um, you know, just keep an ear out. 1917. Yes. Oh, I'm <clears throat> so looking forward to this. Sam Mendes has still got it. I just saw his play, The Ferryman, on Broadway. And this is a three-hour and 15-minute play about the Irish Republican Army and the Troubles back in 1981. It is so incredibly tense, especially this finale. And as I was watching, I thought, wow, this guy still knows what he's doing. I, if he brings even an ounce of this to this World War One movie at the end of the year, we are in very good hands. I'm worried that the movie will have a weak narrative. That's that's my only thing that I'm a little I'm not worried about it on a technical level. No. Deacon shooting it in one shot. World War One aesthetic, you know, so, you know, the production design, the sound elements, all of that will be there. But. I'm the narrative framing device. Like, what what are they going to do to separate this from other war films? Uh, I felt like Christopher Nolan found a very unique way with Dunkirk that made that film stand out amongst you know a crowded genre. So I'm curious, but a little little worried about what will be there for 1917. It's his first full writing credit. It looks like. Oh, that's interesting. Mm. Speaking of, <laughs> speaking of uh, you know artful directors, uh, Terrence Malick, A Hidden Life. Uh, I have to admit, I have not been excited for a Terrence Malick film in quite some time, and I have not enjoyed any of his movies since The Tree of Life, and this is the first one in a while that uh, I'm genuinely excited about, simply because of the fact that it supposedly is going back to uh, his earlier work where it actually will have some form of a story and not just like this meandering voiceover over pretty images, <laughs> which for me is like, I, I there's nothing for me to latch onto with that. There really isn't. So I'm hoping no. that this can be a return to form. And from what we've been hearing so far out of can, it is, although still for those that are not in sync with Malik's style, um, I, I guess that is still there, you know, that yeah. apprehension. And the fact that Fox Searchlight paid $12 million for it was something like, did they see something that might make this a little more of a breakout? Well, they did have the campaign for Tree of Life, and they got three Oscar nominations out of it, so. And Tree of Life made, what, like $50 million? Which, Tree of Life did good. Yeah, I mean, yeah. for a movie like that, that's a pretty good amount, so. Yeah. Yeah. I know it, it remains to be seen how much this will translate in today's age, but I, I don't know. I'm very mixed on Terrence Malick. 
there's only really one movie of his that I think is all out great and everything else I've kind of either respected more than liked or just really didn't enjoy. I didn't even see his last movie. I just decided not to go see it after being let down so much. So smart man. Yeah. What was it? Was it song to song? Was that the name? Yeah. It was song to song. Yeah. I didn't even bother seeing it. Um, Josh, what was he? What's the great one? Um, that would, for me, it is the thin red line. Okay. And I think, because that is the only one of his based on a book might have something to do with it. <laughs> he had to use somebody else's story. Possibly. So I'm hopeful that this one is going to be good. I want it to be good. Um, doesn't it also have Matthias Schoenarts in it? It does. Yeah. Yes. yes. So it's got people involved that I'm very interested in their careers. We'll see. I, I want it to be good. Also final performances from Michael Nyquist and Bruno Gans. Mm, yeah mm. they must have shot this a while ago yeah because yeah filming began summer 2016 in typical malik fashion yeah it usually stays in the editing room for a very very long time we are three weeks away from the release of once upon a time in hollywood the ninth film from quentin tarantino and we actually have a question from somebody pertaining to uh this film that i want to ask everyone here uh, the question is from Nikhil Nandu. Uh, love the podcast. Uh, I wanted to ask about a reoccurring comment you all keep making, which is that you believe Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is really only a screenplay and a few text player. It seems like the internet at large is a lot more enthusiastic about the film's prospects, and I just wanted to know if you could give a little bit more reasoning as to why you believe otherwise. Is it because Tar- of Quentin Tarantino's behavior? I thought the reaction out of Cannes was overall positive. I'm sure you all have your reasons as relative insiders, but is there something about the film that you guys know that we don't? Please let me know. Thanks again. Huge fan. Yeah, the reactions were pretty positive out of Cannes, and it was nice to see that. But I think at the same time, they weren't the type of reactions that shout, oh, this is best picture. This is best actor. This is everything above the line. It was more, this is a really solid movie that's going to be really fun to see in July slash August, but it's not going to be one of the top, top movies at the end of the year. And I actually think that this movie could still get into the best picture race. I don't think I'm writing it off completely like that. But I also think that it would be more of a like eighth or ninth place finisher where it's got a lot of people in this movie that people like. There is still a respect for Tarantino's work, even if for the man, it might be a little bit more of a uh, complicated question. I still think it could go the distance, but I don't think it's going to do the damage in the Oscar race that we think it will. I think it's going to hit the same way that Hateful Eight did. Yeah. That's my current opinion on it. I don't think it's going to be a picture director contender, but I think it will contend for screenplay and text. And yeah, I mean, I'm basically just backing up exactly what the question is calling us out on. (laughs) Um, my, My reasoning behind that is this. I think that the critical approval will be there. I don't think it will be enthusiastic like Michael said. I think that unless if he receives amazing PR and is basically told like Spike Lee last year, hey, do the thing, go on the campaign, be good, then I think it will work out for him. But I just don't see that happening. And I could see himself digging himself more holes, which I think that the internet... 
uh, Oscar prognosticators such as ourselves, like everybody's going to use as a way to kind of write it off out of predictions and it's going to hurt the film's overall narrative momentum throughout the season. He has already started talking about making this last movie. Yeah, well, he's been saying for a while that 10 films and he's done or if he hit the age of 60, that's always been kind of like his thing. Well, he when just he... gave an interview last week where he said he's probably not even going to hit 10. He said this is probably it for him. I doubt that. I And I also will be kind of pissed about that because even though there's a large portion of the world that wants him to go away and I understand why. Well, he said he wouldn't go away. He said he would just channel all of his energy into writing books or plays. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, I know. Go away from the cinema. I mean, I, I want him to honor his commitment and just make the damn 10 film. I don't care if it's shitty. I don't care if it's disappointing. I really don't care. I think that he... Uh, he's too, you know, it makes me like him less how much he is so concerned about his legacy in that regard, because then it just makes me it makes me look at him like he's just so arrogant, and egotistical. You know what I mean? Yeah. Honestly, he if is. you break it down, this <laughs> will be his 10th film if you count Kill Bill as two. No, uh, it's one film. I, I don't. <laughs> yeah. I mean, when he's when he's on his best behavior, which is rarely, but when he is, he's a very effective campaigner. But uh, his his press conferences, especially the one at Khan recently, indicates to me that you no, know, this is this this may be a campaign that he may sabotage himself. Yeah. Uh, moving off of uh, Tarantino, some other uh, films that are jumping out: Harriet, uh, about Harriet Tubman, starring Cynthia Erivo, directed by Cassie Lemons. Yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. That's going to be a big one, I think. It's opening early November from Focus Features. Obviously, the Harriet Tubman biopic is huge. You know, that's something we've needed for a long time. And I think it's going to be great for you know, new generations to learn her story. Even people who know who she is, it's going to be great for us to see her story. And Cynthia Erivo is obviously such a big star from Broadway, The Color Purple, and also Widows, Bad Times at the El Royale. This could be something to really break through. And Cassie Lemons has proven herself as a great filmmaker. Uh, we have the next film from D. Reese uh, that is coming to Netflix, starring Anne Hathaway, Willem Dafoe. Ben Affleck. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I guess Ben Affleck, too. Yeah. <laughs> I guess. Oh, <laughs> I mean, D. Reese making another movie. That's all I need to hear. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Just Mercy. Yeah. With Michael B. Jordan, Jamie Foxx. Brie Larson. Yeah, that's one where we talked about this before. Uh, Destin Daniel Cretton, or is it Daniel Destin Cretton? Which one? The guy it? who made Short Term Twelve. Yeah, that guy. <laughs> that guy. Yeah. Uh, you know, I think Michael B. Jordan is right on the cusp for his first Oscar nomination. He's so close. He got it last year. And Jamie Fox, who I don't know if any of you saw that All in the Family Jefferson special on ABC. The guy still got it. The guy is really committed when he's given a good part. And apparently he has a nice juicy part in this movie. So if that's something Warner Brothers wants to make one of their top players, I can easily see him getting in for supporting actor. Um, I would not be on brand if I did not mention Loose. It comes out next month. It's my number one favorite film of the year still. Get hype. Yep, definitely looking forward to that one. Cannot wait. And, you know, um, I also, too, I feel like this is also a little on brand for me to mention. Uh, I got I got to bring up The Lighthouse. Robert Eggers is. Oh, film. you mean film Twitter's favorite movie? Yeah, <laughs> uh, it's gonna be. It's gonna be this year. Okay, I didn't know if they were doing like The Witch, where it goes until uh, winter of the following year. Well, huh, hold on a second, because that 
I could have sworn we had a we had a uh, release date set for this. Um, I thought it was Christmas. That's what I heard too. Yeah, I don't think it, that was confirmed though. I remember seeing that, but I don't know if anybody confirmed that that was going to be the date. I mean, there is a world where it does get pushed to the spring of 2020. I honestly think that we'd be better off for it. A24 knows how to do a movie in the spring. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think though they may want to capitalize though on. I mean, it's got. A tremendous critical approval, 98% of Rotten Tomatoes based on 52 reviews with an average rating of a 9.18 out of 10. That's very strong. Yeah. The Metacritic is a 91 out of 100. But are those yeah. just critics from Cannes? Yeah. I, I think we need to wait until people start seeing it out in the real world, too, just to make sure it's not a festival bubble thing. And I'm sure it is good, but I mean, those numbers just sound like everyone saw it at midnight at the festival and loved it. I can see it doing a New York LA run at Christmas time and then going out wider later. Uh, what else? Anyone? Well, I did want to throw out one movie that actually for me would be my most anticipated, uh, of 2019. And that's Jojo rabbit. Cause I'm very curious to see how Taika Waititi pulls this off and I'm confident that he will. I think he's a very talented filmmaker, and I really uh, enjoy many of his films. It's a very odd premise to me, and I'm so curious to see if it can straddle that line, but I am very, very interested in checking that one out. And I'm curious about Ford versus Ferrari. Ford versus Ferrari strikes me as the vice of this year. Yeah, yeah. Rick, you think that's the vice of this year? Uh, Yeah, where I feel like it's going to get a middling reception, but it'll be one of those tailor-made for Oscar type movies and will still pull in a pretty decent haul of nominations, but no one's going to be overly enthusiastic about it. See, I would assign that to Fair and Balanced, the Fox News movie. Well, I mean, I think you're thinking of similar themes in terms of its story. But also, you know, these real-life stories that play fast and loose with the styles and editing and do something a little creative. It sounds like... uh, Jay Roach is working eh, on Until table. I see a trailer, I can't really say for sure. And J- Jay Roach's style, I, I don't even think he has a style, in my opinion. He, he, nothing immediately jumps out to me. Yeah. Michael, what's yours? Well, my most anticipated was uh, the Noah Bumbach, but I think other ones to look forward to are uh, A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood, Mr. Rogers' film with Tom mm-hmm. Hanks, directed by Marielle Heller. That'll be really interesting. Uh, of course, I'd be on brand to mention Fiddler, A Miracle of Miracles, the Fiddler on the Roof <laughs> documentary opening this August. <laughs> Of course. <laughs> That's going to be a great one. Uh, the one I think everyone's sleeping on for Oscar consideration will be opening this October from Amazon, and that's the Aeronauts. Yeah, I've been hearing a lot of a lot of things about that. Word on the street is that that's going to open the Venice Film Festival. I've been hearing visual effects player. I've been hearing Felicity Jones nomination player. I've been hearing Apparently a it's lot. Like a nice, hopeful movie that has these great visuals, and it's something that'll probably break through in the Best Picture race. I think that's something to really keep an eye on. Yep. We have that. Uh, Clint Eastwood is starting to film his uh, Richard Jewell film. Are we really excited about a Clint Eastwood film, though? I, I love a good Clint Eastwood <laughs> film. I think he's been pretty on the ball with not all of his things, obviously, like the 1517 to Paris is very bad, I've heard. But Did I you see Sully The Mule, Wade. Michael? The Mule. I haven't seen The Mule yet, but I've heard... Good, don't! The, <laughs> <laughs> the Mule is really bad. It's really bad. <laughs> Oh, man. I, I, I kind of agree with Michael, though, that Eastwood is one of those directors that y- you at least need to perk up your ears when you hear that he is making something. I, I, oh, I, I, I understand that. story is really unique. Look, this was a movie that originally had DiCaprio and Jonah Hill attached to it. 
So the script must be worth something. Yeah, and it has Paul Walter Hauser in the title role. I'm yeah, done. Paul. We love Paul. He's fantastic. <laughs> so if he's filming that right now, you know Warner Brothers is going to want to get their hands on that by Christmas and do a limited mm. run to wide in January. That just seems like it's... If they're not going to do that, it's either going to come out then or early February. There's a lot of films to look forward to for the rest of 2019. Obviously, we can't mention them all here. Uh, we do have a poll currently up right now on the website where people could choose up to five films that they are most looking forward to. There is a write-in option as well if your choice is not listed. Uh, going over last week's uh, poll really quickly here. Uh, for Midsummer, we asked everyone which is their favorite A24 horror film. Uh, quite a you know, list of options here. Some of them skew more towards traditional horror than others. Uh, overwhelming majority of votes. 43% of the entire vote went to Hereditary as the number one choice amongst the readership. In second place, with 21% of the uh, poll, we have The Witch. Which would have been my vote. Followed by, uh, in third place, Under the Skin. Oh, no, wait, I'm sorry. I, I misspoke. In third place, Green Room. Fourth place, Under the Skin. And then rounding things out in fifth place is The Killing of a Sacred Deer. Uh, I do want to just stress that if you've not seen Midsummer yet, check it out. Make up your mind. You may hate it. You may love it. But I guarantee you it will be unlike anything else you see this year. That's for sure. <laughs> Agreed. All right. And now, kind of sticking with movies that we're looking forward to this year, we'll end things off then with our 2015 awards announcement. Let's talk about a trailer. Let's talk about the trailer for Knives Out. This is Ryan Johnson's follow-up film to Star Wars The Last Jedi with a fully stacked cast here. Let's take a look at this mystery whodunit thriller. I'm Detective Lieutenant Elliot, and this is Trooper Wagner. We just want to ask a few questions. We understand the night of his demise, the family had gathered to celebrate your father's 85th birthday. How was it, by the way? The party? Pre my dad's death. Oh, it was great. Ladies and gentlemen, I would like to request that you all stay until the investigation is completed. What? Can we ask why? Has something changed? No. No, it hasn't changed, or no, we can't ask. I'm gonna live. I you think one of his family was killed? Is that what you're suggesting? You all love twisting the knife into one another. Up your ass. Oh, very nice. Matter of fact, eat shit. How's that? Eat shit. Eat shit. Eat shit. Smug smile. Definitely eat shit. Gonna fly. Something. Spill it. I suspect foul play. I have eliminated no suspects. <laughs> I'm gonna live, 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 until I... It's a twisted web. We are not finished untangling it, not yet. What is this? CSI KFC? Huh. Until I die. 
Well, this looks like a lot of fun. I agree. I, I think it yeah. looks it looks good. I don't know if it's going to be a great movie, but it does give me kind of vibes of Clue, and I'm a big fan of that film. So it, it looks like it'll be fun. I I really like movies that Ryan Johnson does, such as Brick, which is yes. classic. Um, uh, like in this particular case, a neo noir mystery in the in the midst of a school, uh, and this one is just takes Agatha Christie and has all the elements of Agatha Christie and put it in a contemporary setting, and the cast just looks delicious. It's so nice to see Jamie Lee Curtis. Mm. You know, I feel like it's been a long time since we've seen a great performance of hers, and it looks like she's having a lot of fun here. I don't know; she was good in Halloween. Yeah, I like. Oh, I, like the fact, I honestly I, forgot she was in the Halloween remake. <laughs> I forgot that movie existed. In in the Agatha Christie movies, uh, you know, there's usually an old lady character, and uh, I'm so it's so refreshing to see Jamie Lee Curtis embody that with a strength that uh, she would normally bring to anything. I I I, re- I got to be honest here, this trailer did not do it for me. I understand that the cast is very appealing. I can understand why people are pretty excited. I mean, it's one thing to, you know, be excited over the fact that this is just a Ryan Johnson film that is uh, based within writing and acting and harkens back to uh, some of his earlier work. And then there's also, you know, getting excited over Chris Evans telling a bunch of characters to eat shit over and over. I get it. Uh, But there's something about the way that this movie looks shot. You know what it's reminding me of? It's reminding me a lot of bad times at the El Royale where I feel that there will be some redeeming qualities to it. It's got a fully stacked cast of well-known actors. I think it will be fun, but it looks like it might be too clever for its own good. It looks like it could possibly be overstuffed. I don't know if it's going to hit all the right marks for me. Well, trailers like this are hard to cut sometimes because you're intentionally trying to obscure some element of the plot. So you're trying to sell tone, but not that much else. So I can understand there being kind of a frustration with watching this trailer because you're not really getting a sense of what to really expect outside of maybe just these performances. But I don't know. I still think that it looks fun with the tone that it's trying to set. And I am just going in hoping to get a very entertaining movie from Ryan Johnson. Also, too, Daniel Craig uh, with that accent, he was giving me serious Kevin Spacey and House of Cars vibes. And I think that might have been <laughs> coloring my opinion a little bit. I just like I closed my eyes and I just heard Frank Underwood instead of oh. Daniel Craig. <laughs> Daniel Craig does his thing with his accents. He did this. He did uh, Logan Lucky a couple years ago. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's fun to see him having fun outside of James Bond. I think we take sometimes for granted that Daniel Craig is a good actor capable of delivering diverse performances. Mm -hmm. Same thing with Chris Evans. You know, it's like we look at Chris Evans and we're like, oh, it's Captain America. And he's obviously so synonymous with that role that to see him doing anything different than that, it's like it just feels odd at this point. Well, he, he seems to be having a ball playing an asshole. Yeah. Definitely. You know, you look at Tony Collette, you can't think of anything but Connie and Carla. I get it. <laughs> um, what else did I like about this? I like the music usage. I was happy to see uh, Lakeith Stanfield. Yeah, Lakeith yeah. Stanfield. Absolutely. Always happy to see him pop up. And Frank Oz is in this, apparently. I didn't see him in the trailer. No, I, I didn't see him unless he was like hiding in the background somewhere. Uh, he was added late in the game, so maybe it's just like a small cameo. 
but he's mm-hmm. definitely listed online. So, yeah. You know, it's another thing, too, I think was also kind of clouding my judgment about this a little bit. I just started to remember Murder on the Orient Express last year and how kind of cold that movie made me feel as well. And I don't know, like these mystery whodunit films are so, so hard, I feel like, to pull off. And the only one that really, for me, I could think of off the top of my head that has ever done it before was Clue. And that's because Clue was just absolutely, ridiculously, absurdly funny. What about Gosford Park? Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. I yeah, forgot I about like that. Gosford Park, personally. Oh, man, yes. I'm looking on a... Uh, I'm looking at an interview and Ryan Johnson has talked about the films that influenced Knives Out. He mentions mm-hmm. Evil Under the Sun, which is wonderful, Murder by Death, Death on the Nile, The Last of Sheila, which is a really, really interesting movie written by Stephen Sondheim and Anthony Perkins, uh, Clue, Gosford Park, The Mirror Cracked, another good one, Murder in the Orient Express, and The Private Eyes. Hmm. By the way, I uh, just want to throw this out there. By the time uh, we are finished recording this podcast, the Mulan, the Mulan, the Mulan trailer uh, has uh, debuted online, uh, which, you know, we'll talk about, uh, I guess, on next next week's show. But uh, something to look forward to when we get off the air here. Definitely. Hey, everyone. I'm Aaron. And I'm Patrick. And together we host the Feelin' Film Podcast, a show that focuses more on the emotional takeaway from a movie experience rather than its technical merit. Yes, sir. Talking about what we love about film and focusing less on the critical side of things makes for a very entertaining and enjoyable discussion. New episodes drop every Monday morning. And you can catch them on iTunes, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, and many other podcasting networks. You can also find out more about the show at feelinfilm.com. In the meantime, as we say on the show, stay positive and keep feeling film. All right, some nominations voted on by both you guys and the fans. 2015 Retrospective, those that have been following us on the podcast, they know that we've been doing this in the offseason. We put the uh, ballots out there for everyone to vote, rewrite history, put their own nominations out there. We got them all calculated for you here today. I am going to read them off. I'm going to go category by category. We're going to start off with the MVP Film Community Awards. Uh, Then we're going to announce the staff voted on for the same category, and we'll just keep doing that, and we'll go up the list. So uh, first up, Overlooked Film. This is an indie film that received zero Oscar nominations. What did you all vote for? The MVP Film Community nominations for Best Overlooked Film are Beasts of No Nation, The Diary of a Teenage Girl, The End of the Tour, Love and Mercy, and Tangerine. Mm. For us, we voted on Dope, The End of the Tour, The Gift, Love and Mercy, and Tangerine. So... We swapped out Beast of No Nation for Dope and Diary of a Teenage Girl for The Gift. I'm very glad we found love for the end of the tour. I really love that film. For Best Sci-Fi Horror Film, MVP Film Community voted for Crimson Peak, Ex Machina, The Martian, It Follows, and Star Wars The Force Awakens. We voted for the same. Crimson Peak, Ex Machina, The Martian, It Follows, and Star Wars The Force Awakens. Crimson Peak was a lot of fun. I'm glad to see that get in there. Yeah, and I have a very particular viewpoint where I don't count Star Wars as science fiction, but I get it that most people don't share that opinion, so I understand why it's there. I do want to point this out. This was something that was implemented uh, this year, actually. So 
we understand that there are some movies that can uh, cross over into other genres. Uh, Get Out being a great example. It would land in the sci-fi horror category, and it could also land in the comedy film category as well. Uh, what I did this year was whichever uh, category for these specific uh, genre films, if a film, say, like Star Wars The Force Awakens received more, nom- uh, received more votes in sci-fi horror than it did in action film, let's say, um, it got placed into the sci-fi horror category. This way, we didn't have uh, Star Wars being both in sci-fi horror, potentially comedy film, and the action film category, and it gave the chance for more other films to get nominated. So, uh, Speaking of, best comedy film, the MVP film community voted for The Big Short, Dope, Inside Out, Spy, and Trainwreck. And over on our side... We have four, an overlap of four here. The Big Short, uh, Inside Out, Spy, Trainwreck. But instead of Dope, we have What We Do in the Shadows. Mm, wow. Mm, very very happy. Very happy to see that. Which is now a TV show. For Best Action Film, MVP Film Community voted for Ant-Man, Furious 7, Mad Max Fury Road, Mission Impossible Rogue Nation, and Sicario. And over on our side of things, uh, we have another overlap of four. Ant-Man, Mad Max Fury Road, Mission Impossible, and Sicario. However, instead of Furious 7, we have Kingsman, The Secret Service. Mm. Mm. Is Sicario an action movie? Yeah. I mean, it's not it's not pure action all the way through, but there's enough action when it happens that it, 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 it's really, I would say, it would qualify. Okay. I also haven't seen that movie since it came out. It really isn't one that I'd go back to a lot. For visual effects, no surprises here. Uh, We have the exact same five nominees, uh, both on the community and the staff side, as the Oscar side. Ex Machina, Mad Max Fury Road, The Martian, The Revenant, and Star Wars The Force Awakens. It's a solid list. And I'm very curious to see how we will now decide of who the winner's going to be. Yeah. Yeah. Still probably the most shocking Oscar win that I can recall in oh, recent definitely. memory. Oh, sure. I just want to give a quick shout out to The Walk, which I don't think got any love back here and didn't get any love from us. But that final sequence at the end is really breathtaking. I agree. I wish I it could have received more love, but yeah, it was on my ballot, but it wasn't very high on my ballot. I'll also admit. I, I think what I think what rules the day here is that these movies are just more beloved than that is overall, even though the work in the visual effects department itself is stellar. I agree with you. Sound mixing. The community has voted on Mad Max Fury Road, The Martian, The Revenant, Straight Outta Compton, and Star Wars The Force Awakens. Once again, another overlap of four with one difference from the staff. So Mad Max Fury Road, The Martian, The Revenant, and Star Wars The Force Awakens all carried over. Sadly, Straight Outta Compton did not. Instead, we have Creed. Hmm. Okay. I mean, both of those are inspired choices uh, for either Straight Outta Compton or Creed. Yeah. Uh, for sound editing, full overlap of five for five. Mad Max Fury Road, The Martian, The Revenant, Sicario, and Star Wars: The Force Awakens. Sounds good. Yep. And now we're moving over to song. Uh, the community voted for "Earned It" from Fifty Shades of Grey, "See You Again" from Furious Seven, "Till It Happens to You" from The Hunting Ground, "One Kind of Love" from Love and Mercy. Simple song number three from Youth. 
And over at the MVP team, we have, instead of earned it, we have Love Me Like You Do from Fifty Shades of Grey. See You Again from Furious 7. Till It Happens to You from The Hunting Ground. Writings on the Wall from Spectre. And simple song number three from Youth. Well, Justice for Cold One from Ricky in the Flash. <laughs> and I don't care what you all say. I still like Writings on the Wall. I think it's a good song. I like it. And I'm just going to say that. Very brave of you, Josh. <laughs> <laughs> you sound like an Academy member. <laughs> uh, to be honest, out of that lineup at the Oscars, it would have had my vote. I was surprised we didn't have uh, One Kind of Love like the community had. That was a good song. Yeah. yeah. I'm a little disappointed in that, too. I'm actually very disappointed in the lack of love and mercy across the board, to tell you the truth. It's a good movie. Uh, For best original score, the community had a tie. The community actually had a lot of ties and a lot of categories, and we can just throw this out there, um, where our voting is a little bit different, and it does not typically result in ties. They're very, very rare. But on the community side, uh, we definitely have some categories with more nominees. So this one produced six nominations, uh, nominees here. Uh, for best original score, Carol, The Hateful Eight, Inside Out, Mad Max Fury Road, Sicario, and Star Wars The Force Awakens. And then over on our side, five nominees, we have Bridge of Spies, Carol, The Hateful Eight, Mad Max Fury Road, and Sicario. I'm surprised there was no mention for It Follows. Uh, yeah. 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 Nope. And I can tell you right now, uh, when calculating all this, uh, It Follows did not contend as strongly as you would think. Wow. And you know what else was a good score? Uh, maybe it missed. Maybe it was really close. So you can tell me better. But I think Spotlight had a really great score that year. Spotlight was close. Spotlight was close. I can I can tell you that. All right. Uh, so the only thing. Uh, yeah. So we didn't we didn't have Inside Out in our list and we didn't have Star Wars The Force Awakens, but we did have Bridge of Spies on ours. Where the uh, the community felt otherwise, I was a little little disappointed that we could not get Inside Out in there. But yeah, that's a great score. Mm. Production design, uh, community voted for Carol, Ex Machina, Mad Max Fury Road, The Martian, and Star Wars: The Force Awakens. Props to the community for getting Ex Machina in there. That is yeah. awesome. Mm-hmm. Completely inspired. Uh, on our side, we have Bridge of Spies. Carol, Crimson Peak, Mad Max Fury Road, and The Martian. So glad about Crimson Peak. Love oh, that design. Yeah, I'll, I'll take Crimson Peak for Ex Machina. I'll take either one. Uh, so that was pretty cool. I'm 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 pleasantly surprised about that one. Uh, for makeup and hairstyling, the community voted on Carol, Crimson Peak, The Hateful Eight, Mad Max Fury Road, The Revenant. And Star Wars The Force Awakens. Six nominees there. Over on our side, we've got Carol, Cinderella, Mad Max Fury Road, The Revenant, and Star Wars The Force Awakens. I'm just so happy to see Carol in for makeup and hairstyling. I think it should have gotten the Oscar nomination too. Yeah. Overwhelming support for Carol, I have to say, in that category from both sides. You know, when we think of makeup and hairstyle and we think of like a lot of the creature work done in some of these movies or Christian Bale turning into Dick Cheney. But I think Carol and The Post were really underrated films this year in terms of what they did with makeup and hair. 
that was nice to see it uh, rewarded, at least in this year. For film editing, the community voted on The Big Short, Mad Max Fury Road, The Revenant, Sicario, and Spotlight. And over on our side of things, three of them overlapped, that being The Big Short, Mad Max Fury Road, and The Revenant. However, instead of Sicario and Spotlight, we voted on Star Wars The Force Awakens and Steve Jobs. Steve Jobs is an interesting uh, uh, choice in that category. But very deserved. Costume design. The community voted on, oh, another one, six nominees. Brooklyn, Carol, Cinderella, Mad Max Fury Road, The Revenant, and Star Wars The Force Awakens. For us, we've got Brooklyn, Carol, Cinderella, Crimson Peak, and Mad Max Fury Road. That's a pretty great category right there. Yeah, yeah. Carol, Crimson Peak, and Brooklyn. I mean, you can't go wrong with any of them. <laughs> and the Oscar winner, Mad Max Fury Road. Just oh, well, there. of course. That's, just, that's <laughs> in a league of its own. That's a given. Cinematography. Five for five overlap. I was wondering if there would be a surprise. There wasn't one. It was the Oscar five for both sides. Carol, The Hateful Eight, Mad Max Fury Road, The Revenant, and Sicario. Overwhelming majority of votes for those five. Wow. Yeah. Uh, we have documentary here. And we have an overlap of four. So on the community side, we've got Amy, Cartel Land, The Hunting Ground, The Look of Silence, and What Happened, Miss Simone. And then on our side, the overlap is Amy, Cartel Land, The Look of Silence, and What Happened, Miss Simone. However, instead of The Hunting Ground, we have Winter on Fire, Ukraine's Fight for Freedom. Hmm. Interesting. So nobody voted for a best of enemies? Uh, people voted, just not enough. I uh, did. All right. <laughs> that was a good one. Yeah. Foreign language film. Over on the community side, Embrace the Serpent, Goodnight Mommy, Mustang, Son of Saul, and A War. And over on our side, The Assassin, Embrace the Serpent, Mustang, Phoenix, oh, Phoenix. and Son of Saul. Phoenix is so good. I'm glad to see us. I am very happy we got Phoenix in there. Yes. Phoenix is really good. Yeah. 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 All right. Animated film. The community voted for Animalisa, Inside Out, The Peanuts Movie, Shaun the Sheep Movie, and When Marnie Was There. Anomalisa. What, what am I saying? Animalisa. Animalisa. It's Anomalisa. Like Anomalisa. Anomalisa. All right. I'm sorry. Jesus. Not like the BAFTA winner. <laughs> All right, on our side, Anomalisa, mm-hmm. Boy and the World, Inside Out, The Peanuts Movie, and Shaun the Sheep Movie. Oh, Peanuts and Shaun the Sheep, that's great. I'm very surprised uh, that so many people saw Boy and the World. I did not think that enough of the team had seen that. I thought that they would have seen Marnie instead. Especially as Marnie, isn't that on Netflix right now? I think so. Yeah. All right, Adapted Screenplay. Exactly the same for the community and for the staff. Brooklyn, Carol, The Martian, Room, and Steve Jobs. Solid big short. Tough to get in anything else. Nope, no big short. And that was the winner. That's really surprising. Mm Mm-hmm. I think that the uh, big short's lack of nominations across the board 
tells you how everybody feels about that movie, possibly. <laughs> Maybe that's just the post-device world that we're li- living in. Maybe. Yeah. Original screenplay. Uh, there is, yep, there is one difference here between the community and us. So in the community side, Ex Machina, Inside Out, Sicario, Spotlight, and Straight Outta Compton. On our side, Ex Machina, Inside Out, Spotlight, Straight Outta Compton. But instead of Sicario, we have The Hateful Eight. Really? There is enough love on our side for The Hateful Eight? Uh, yep. The Hateful Eight is my original screenplay winner. So I, I thought you were going to say Trainwreck. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah, I, I trained rank, rank pretty high. I thought others would follow. No. Uh, d- debut director. Uh, we do have one difference here. Uh, community has Joel Egerton for The Gift, Alex Garland for Ex Machina, Marielle Heller for Diary of a Teenage Girl, Josh Mond for James White, mm. and Laszlo Nems for Son of Saul. And on our side, we have Joel Egerton for The Gift, Alex Garland for Ex Machina, Marielle Heller for The Diary of a Teenage Girl, Laszlo Nems for Son of Saul, and our difference is instead of Josh Mon for James White, we have S. Craig Zoller for Bone Tomahawk. Oh, those are two very inspired choices, and I'm very fascinated that the community remembered James White. That's actually pretty cool. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Bravo community. Director. Is it the same? It's not the same. All right. For director, the community has Lenny Abramson for Room, Alejandro Gonzalez Singari too for The Revenant, Todd Haynes for Carol, not Tom Phillips, uh, <laughs> Tom McCarthy for Spotlight, and George Miller for Mad Max Fury Road. On our side, we have Lenny Abramson for Room, Danny Boyle for Steve Jobs, Alejandro Gonzalez Iñárritu for The Revenant, Todd Haynes for Carol and George Miller for Mad Max Fury Road. That's an interesting swap out. Yep. Tom McCarthy for Danny Boyle. Uh, Breakout performance. The community uh, had a tie resulting in six nominees. Abraham Atta for Beasts of No Nation. O'Shea Jackson Jr. for Straight Outta Compton. Jason Mitchell for Straight Outta Compton. Daisy Ridley for Star Wars The Force Awakens. Jacob Tremblay for Room, and Alicia Vikander for Ex Machina. That category is going to be a bloodbath. Yeah. Mm-hmm. On our side, we have Abraham Atta for Beasts of No Nation, Taryn Egerton for Kingsman, The Secret Service, Jason Mitchell for Straight Outta Compton, Daisy Ridley for Star Wars The Force Awakens, and Jacob Tremblay for Room. So we didn't get Lily James or Richard Madden or Bell Pally in there. Nope. Mm. Yeah. Did the community pick uh, Taryn Edgerton or not? Nope, we did. We did. Mm. Interesting that the community didn't do that, uh, especially considering how much beloved Rocketman is right now. Uh, for voiceover, best voiceover performance, the community has Jennifer Jason Lee for Anomalisa, Richard Kind for Inside Out, Amy Poehler for Inside Out, Phyllis Smith for Inside Out, and David Thewlis for Anomalisa. And then over on our side, we have Richard Kind for Inside Out, Amy Poehler for Inside Out, Phyllis Smith for Inside Out, James Spader for Avengers Age of Ultron, 
and David Thewlis for Anomalisa. Hmm. Okay. Hmm. Hey, listen, if Age of Ultron is going to get nominated anywhere, I'm very, very glad it's James Spader. <laughs> <laughs> I'm totally okay with that. <laughs> it's interesting. We had the Anomalisa uh, nomination, but it didn't make animated feature from the, our group. No, it did. Oh, it did? Oh, good. Yeah, yeah, it did. Yeah. I'm actually more so surprised that we did get Anomalisa from our group into this category, but it was for David Thewlis and not Jennifer Jason Lee. Yeah. Alrighty. I can tell you this. Um, instead of Jennifer Jason Lee as like a runner up for voiceover, it was actually um, the runner up was Louis Black for Inside Out hmm. for, for on our side. Uh, best youth performance. Uh, this would be for uh, 21 and younger at the time of filming. Nominees on the community side are Abraham Atta, Beast of No Nation, Olivia Cook for Me, Earl, and the Dying Girl, R.J. Seiler for Me, Earl, and Dying, Dying Girl, Shamik Moore for Dope, and Jacob Tremblay for Room. And then over for us, we have Abraham Atta, Beast of No Nation, R.J. Seiler for Me, Earl, and the Dying Girl, Shamik Moore for Dope, Milo Parker for Mr. Holmes. And Jacob Tremblay for Room. Very happy to see uh, that mention for Mr. Holmes. He's really good in that film. Yeah, that's a pretty solid movie. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I enjoy it. Me too. Supporting Actress. Uh, we had a tie here, resulting in six nominees on the community side. So we have Rose Byrne for Spy. Jennifer Jason Lee for The Hateful Eight. Rachel McAdams for Spotlight. Tessa Thompson for Creed. Alicia Vikander for Ex Machina. And Kate Winslet for Steve Jobs. And then over on our side, Jennifer Jason Lee for The Hateful Eight. Rooney Mara for Carol. Rachel McAdams for Spotlight. Alicia Vikander for Ex Machina. And Kate Winslet for Steve Jobs. I'm very proud of at least the community for getting Rose Byrne in there. Mm-hmm. And I'm very proud yes. of us for putting Rooney Mara in support. Mmm... Not going to agree with that, but okay. <laughs> I will say that uh, Rose Byrne missed uh, our supporting actress lineup by one point. Oh, wow. wow. <laughs> so uh, that was one. Of, I, I think I sent a message to you guys last night that it, it, yeah, that was the first category message. that pained me. Mm. Mm. I was uh, as I was calculating this, I was like, no. <laughs> <laughs> was I the only person to include Audrey McDonald for Ricky in the Flash? I think so. <laughs> I'm going to say that's a safe assumption. I know I mentioned before uh, there was a, a bloodbath category. Uh, this is th- this is insane. <laughs> the community awards had uh, such a major tie in supporting actor that there are one, two, three, four, five, six, seven nominees for best supporting wow. actor. Can't wait. Benicio del Toro for Sicario, Idris Elba for Beasts of No Nation, Tom Hardy for The Revenant. Oscar Isaac for Ex Machina, Mark Ruffalo for Spotlight, Mark Rylance for Bridge of Spies, and Sylvester Stallone for Creed. And then if you head on over to us, we've only got five nominees. I can tell you, though, that they are all nominated amongst this group, and two of them did not make it. So, who do we have? We have Idris Elba for Beasts of No Nation. Tom Hardy for The Revenant, Oscar Isaac for Ex Machina, Mark Rylance for Bridge of Spies, 
and Sylvester Stallone for Creed. No Mark Ruffalo and no Benicio Del Toro. Yeah. Well, justice for Leah Shriver, Stanley Tucci, and Michael Keaton. Yeah. Best Actress. I can tell you this was very interesting. Mm. The community voted for Best Actress. Kate Blanchett for Carol. Brie Larson, Room. Saoirse Ronan, Brooklyn. Charlize Theron for Mad Max Fury Road. And Rooney Mara for Carol. <laughs> Unity, thank you for knowing what to do. And I'm sure Michael like heard that earlier in supporting actress and was like, "What's up with the Rooney Mara snub?" <laughs> <laughs> the uh, the answer the answer is this. The answer is that she did get votes in supporting. Um, and it, and yes, um, it is possible that she would have made the lineup actually with those votes. However. Um, because we cannot have somebody nominated in the same category, I took a look at where she got more votes. Mm-hmm. And she got more votes for lead actress than she did in supporting. Fair enough. Who does she think yeah. she is? Barry Fitzgerald? <laughs> <laughs> uh, on our side, Kate Blanchett for Carol. Emily Blunt for Sicario. Brie Larson for Room. Charlotte Rampling for 45 Years. And Saoirse Ronan for Brooklyn. We did not get Charlize Theron in there. And I am very disappointed in all of you. (laughs) It's a tough category, though. It really is. I agree. I I don't know. Maybe Emily Blunt for Sicario I would drop. But I I mean, yeah, it's tough. In fact, I was surprised Emily Blunt got enough votes from us. Even more so than the community. I'm delighted at the uh, Charlotte Rampling mention. Yeah. Yeah, such a great performance. Okay, V's completely overlapped, five for five, community and staff. Best actor, Matt Damon for The Martian, Leonardo DiCaprio for The Revenant, Michael Fassbender for Steve Jobs, Michael B. Jordan for Creed, and Jacob Tremblay for Room. And again, they put somebody, him in lead. Yep. Yes, somebody who was campaign supporting, who should never have been there, is in the correct category here. For Ensemble... The community has The Big Short, The Hateful Eight, Spotlight, Steve Jobs, and Straight Outta Compton. And then for us, we have The Big Short, Brooklyn, The Hateful Eight, Spotlight, and Steve Jobs. Swapped out Straight Outta Compton for Brooklyn. Yet no Carol or Spy. Brooklyn love is pretty strong over here, I have to say. Brooklyn even got like mentions in certain places where I was like, really? And sure enough, it did. (laughs) And now we come to best picture. Ten nominees on the community side. Uh, Let's let me just take one quick look. Let me see if there's uh, any discrepancies. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Best picture. The MVP film community for 2015. They have nominated Brooklyn. Carol. Creed. Ex Machina, Inside Out, Mad Max Fury Road, The Martian, The Revenant, Room, and Spotlight. And then over on our side, we have Brooklyn, Carol, Ex Machina, Inside Out, Mad Max Fury Road, 
The Revenant, Room, Spotlight, Star Wars The Force Awakens, and Steve Jobs. And that's it. All right. Those are the nominations for both the community and the staff for 2015. So Mad Max leads, correct? Mad Max leads in both lists. Uh, on the community side, it has 13 nominations. For us, it has 12, the difference being Charlize Theron. Uh, the Revenant was in second place for the community with 11 votes, where for us, it tied for second with Carol, 10 votes. Uh, Carol got 10 votes on both sides. And then Star Wars The Force Awakens has nine votes on the community side, eight votes on our side. It's uh, it's pretty stacked. I mean, pretty pretty heavy. You know, there's a lot of films that did extraordinarily well. Uh, some big differences here. Uh, the staff loved Steve Jobs more than the community did. Uh, we gave it seven nominations where uh, the community, uh, let's see, Steve Jobs, it received blah, 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 four nominations. Uh, another big difference. Uh, actually, no, this is exactly the same. The Big Short was underrepresented across both sides, three nominations each, and neither one of them in uh, the major categories uh, outside of uh, ensemble. But like no screenplay, no best picture. Mm. Oh. Spotlight did really well with the community, got seven nominations. Uh, with us, it got only four nominations. So there, there's a couple of slight differences here and there, but overall, I would say it was pretty similar for the most part. You know, here and there, some things uh, swapped out. Um, I'm most happy about some of the inclusions for uh, Spy, most definitely. Yeah. And uh, some of the smaller films showing up like Dope or, um, I mean, Tangerine, I wish would have showed up somewhere else. But, uh, you know, at least it got into overlooked film, and I guess that's... You know, on brand, it's overlooked. <laughs> kind of fitting, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Did Trainwreck only get the comedy nomination? On, uh, on, on yes, yes, on both sides. Well, really... so I'm surprised I didn't do screenplay. I really am. I, I, I don't, where, why is that surprising? <laughs> because it got a WGA nomination. It had a pretty big following. It was one of the biggest movies of that year. I mean, the only film that otherwise, like, really contended for uh, screenplay was Bridge of Spies, really. Yeah, I just thought it had a bigger following than I guess it does. You know, it did very well that award season. I think a lot of that has to do with Amy Schumer, if I had to take a guess. I think a lot of people have kind of cooled well, off on her. her. But I thought Brie Larson was wonderful also. She was great. The movie itself, you know, maybe it just fell off in the last couple of years. Well, my I think my happiest takeaway is the fact that how in sync our community is with the staff. Yeah. Yeah. That always fascinates me. Uh, Cause even when we did this for 2018, we had a pretty consistent overlap in the categories. And I just think that's really interesting that our sensibilities and our communities tend to line up uh, pretty well. And we also have two different voting styles. Uh, the community is a plural vote. Ours is also a plural vote, but in the event of a tie, we have ours ranked. So, you know, that can uh, lead to some interesting processes of uh, elimination. So, yeah, uh, I'm surprised that even with that method, uh, how similar they uh, they are in some cases. But I, I can't agree, I can't disagree with the amount of quality that is uh, presented here. I, I think 2015 is actually one of the better film years uh, from this decade. And I mean, I guess then again, <laughs> as we've been talking on the podcast, I guess it depends on how you view The Revenant, Martian, Big Short. You know, some, some, some of those films. So 
Steve Jobs yeah. being number one. But hey, if you like them all, then this is a great year, along with everything else uh, as to be expected. So voting for that will open as of Monday, July 8th, and that will run up until I've got the date here somewhere. Uh, that will run until August 16th. So the MVP film community has a long, long amount of time. They've got over a month to make their votes here. So thank you guys very much for everything in regards to this. Uh, we're not done yet. We still have podcast reviews coming up for uh, July, Hateful Eight, The Revenant. And then for August, we'll have Carol and The Big Short. We're looking forward to reviewing all of those here. And we hope that everyone continues to tune in to the podcast over here as well to listen in for more film news, trailers, everything else going on over here at Next Best Picture. Before you know it, award season will be right around the corner. We are very, very much looking forward to it. Michael, tell us where they can find you all on the internet. You can find me on Twitter at mschwartz95. How about you, Josh? You can find me on Twitter at jrparham. And Tom? And you can find me on Twitter at Thomas E. O'Brien. And you can find me at Next Best Picture. Thank you so much, everyone. Episode 150. Oh, my God. We're like halfway to episode 200. It's crazy. Mm. Oh, man. Oh, okay. Sign off. iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, Player FM, Acast, CastBox, Spotify. That's where you can find us pretty much everywhere where there's a podcast. If there is not a place where you listen to podcasts and, you know, they, we're not there, just let me know. Hit me up on Twitter and I'll get us added on there. Leave us a review on iTunes. Let us know what you think of the show. Comment, rate five stars. Anything below that, completely unacceptable. Just don't do it. Skip it. And then Patreon, as I mentioned before, for the exclusive podcast, $1 minimum a month. We'll get you that. Thank you so much for listening, as always. And we shall see you all next time.